Our second scripture is from Jeremiah 8, chapter 18 through chapter, to chapter 9, verse 1. My joy is gone, grief is upon me. My heart is sick. Hark the cry of my poor people from far and wide in the land. Is God not in Zion? Is he, is her king not within her? Why have they provoked me to anger with their images, with their foreign idols? The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. For the hurt of my poor people, I am hurt, I mourn, and dismay has taken hold of me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then has the health of my poor people not been restored? Oh, that my head were a spring of water and my eyes a fountain of tears so that I might weep day and night for the slain of my poor people. We celebrate the written word of scripture. Thanks be to God. We celebrate the living word, Christ among us. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Holy God, thank you for your presence in the midst of us in every moment of every day, and particularly in the depths of our lament. We ask that you open our hearts and our minds so that we might hear your word and embody your word for the blessing and the life of the world you love so very much. Amen. Amen. So I know that you all have been walking through um, the book of Jeremiah. So Patrick, I thought I would ask you to just catch me up and tell me a little bit about where you've been as you've been uh, sitting with the prophet Jeremiah. Absolutely, Reverend Scott. <clears throat> so for the last two weeks, we have been encountering ouchies in our lectionary text from Jeremiah. In our first week, we traveled down to the potter's house and listened to God say, ouch. God's people had been worshiping other gods and taking advantage of others, and God gracefully shows them and us the potter's wheel, where God shows us the ways in which we are like clay being shaped by God. Journeying to the potter's house serves as a reminder that when we hear an ouch, we must first listen and then act through restorative justice. Last week in Jeremiah 4, we encountered a God who was so mad at God's people, God was going to take away the light from creation, causing creation to say, ouch. We were reminded that sometimes listening to an ouch means sitting with things we do not wish to see. As we listen to creation say ouch, we respond by making a new covenant with creation that addresses the harm we do to it that we have caused while refusing to leave hope behind for the sake of our future generations. As we've explored Jeremiah's telling of ouches, we've learned that listening to an ouch takes time, takes work, and takes community. And today, we return once again to explore how we might say ouch. 
So now that you're joining us, Reverend Scott, I'm curious to see what you all bring. What you yeah, do. well, I'm stepping into this conversation already in progress, so I should probably name what I bring to this text. For me, Jeremiah is larger than life. He lives a big life, he battles false prophets, he warns a nation of their destruction. Uh, Jeremiah's thrown into a cistern and left to die. He's taken into exile in Babylon and then into Egypt. And in the scriptures that we have, we have over 50 chapters spanning more than 50 years of Israel's history. Jeremiah rails against injustice. There's even a name for it. It's called a Jeremiad. And at the same time, Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. Because like in this text, Jeremiah wails. He laments for the pain of the people. Jeremiah is all in. Now, I'm sure you've talked about this, prophetic scriptures are hard. I always try to keep in mind what Walter Rugeman says about the prophetic imagination when I've, I've mentioned this before. Brueggemann says that the prophet is always doing two things. First, the prophet is announcing something or some things that must come to an end. Injustice that must be torn down. Hard, hard news. And second, the prophet announces what must come to an end so that the new thing that God is doing can come to life. The prophet announces what must come to an end and what is springing forth even now. I think the lament we hear in this morning's scripture arises from that pinch point at the ending and the new birth. And I wonder, how do we listen to that lament, to that ouch? In looking at our scripture today from Jeremiah, <clears throat> I've been looking at and I've been concerned by how God and God's people are talking to each other. And rather than a direct conversation, it seems like God and the people speak past each other. They speak in rhetorical questions and slogans that capture both deep pain and denial. God's people are grieving and trying to understand why God has responded to them with such fierce anger that they believe is causing their suffering. Verse 19 begins with a divine voice telling us to listen to the cry of God's people. The people are crying out and asking about the absence of their deity. Only a city whose God has deserted it will lie in such ruins. And yet the divine response in the last section of verse 19 seems almost defensive. The people experience such disaster because their sin brought it upon them. The people respond in verse 20 with the proverbial saying that implies the season of destruction has long since passed. And so, God hears this ouch and comes to sit in this circle of pain. In verse 21, God comes to sit in the circle not with the righteous anger mentioned just two verses before, but instead with a grieving heart. God says, for the brokenness of my people, I am broken. I mourn, and horror has seized me. With no balm in Gilead, 
the divine voice asks almost in a baffled sense why healing has not yet come to the people. The circle now feels like a circle where the back and forth does not always result in progress. But to sit in the circle of pain, to sit in the circle of ouch, opens up the possibilities to feel the burden and possibility of communal trauma. Hmm. The people consistently voice their pain and need for help. And when God comes to sit with them, the circle shows movement toward change. Steve Richardson writes, In the solidarity with the people, God weeps and the divine tears search incompetently for a solution. To place God in the midst of suffering means dethroning the violent God whose omnipotence is singularly focused upon destruction. The vulnerable God in this circle of ouch lacks the power of the violent God. God sits with the people in mourning, regret, and impacted by trauma and hears them say, ouch. In this passage, no clear solutions emerge. Instead, what emerges is God asking for the pathway to restore the help of the people. Also showing up is a prophet so bereft with weeping who sits alongside suffering people. New possibilities appear when God sits in the circle of ouch. As you talk about the lament of a people experiencing trauma, this phrase, and we are not saved, has jumped out for me. The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. It's actually the title of a book I read back in law school, so like 30 years ago. I mean, I still remember it. And We Are Not Saved, it's written by Derek Bell, who is a Harvard Law professor, um, and he was writing in the late 1980s. It's an unusual law book. Bell imagines a heroine named Geneva Crenshaw, a formidable black civil rights attorney who travels back in time and then forward in time. She goes back to the Constitutional Convention and she warns the framers, the framers of the Constitution of the damage and the carnage that will flow from their agreement to allow slavery to persist in the Constitution. Then she travels into the future and imagines an ultimate voting rights act that would actually actively encourage people to vote rather than seeking to shut it down. Derek Bell evokes for the title of this book, The Lament of Jeremiah, and we are not saved. He evokes it as the expression of a people who have labored for and been promised freedom equality, and equity, but been denied its reality long past the time that justice was due. The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. In his book, Derek Bell looks back on the bright promise of Brown versus Board of Education, the decisions that ordered the desegregation of schools in 1954. 
He wrote in the late 1980s in the midst of active opposition to school busing, and we stand in a world where housing segregation continues to perpetuate school, deseg school segregation, nearly 70 years after Brown v. Board. The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. Derrick Bell looked back on the Voting Rights Act of 1965 as he stood in the midst of continuing persistent voter suppression, which we know continues to this day, active efforts to prevent black Americans from voting. From the time the right to vote was guaranteed after the Civil War in the 1860s all the way up until now, the harvest is past. The summer is ended and we are not saved. Derrick Bell describes the civil rights movement as a spiritual manifestation of the continuing faith of a people who have never truly gained their rights in a nation that says it is committed by its basic law to the freedom of all people. The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. In Jeremiah's lament, the prophet and God hear the lament of my people. I wonder, and Patrick and I have talked about this, of who the people are. Is it the lament of all the people or of the people who are harmed by injustice? Those are different things. The prophet's lament challenges us to think about how we are saying ouch, where we stand in the ouch, where we locate ourselves in the systems that God is calling to be torn down. Are we saying ouch like Derek Bell and Geneva Crenshaw because the systems of oppression continue to grind away at us? Or, or are we saying ouch because the thing that God is doing, the thing that is coming to an end, is a system that for far too long has benefited us at the expense of others? There are times that lament may be about our pain, but there are times when lament is about the pain of others, and we're called to listen. If we're honest about where we stand, how do we listen to the lament of the world, and what is it calling us to do? And thinking about how we listen to that lament, I think we can follow the prophets and God's lead in coming to sit in the circle of pain. In order to come and sit as God did, you must first, we must first behold the wounds, try to understand what has caused them, grasp that there is no quick fix. We must listen to the testimonies, not just of those who are close, but also of those who are far. I speak of geography, but I also speak of identity, ideology, politics, culture, History. It is easy to listen to those who are like us, who share our views, and it is easy to mourn when they mourn. But why are those people so angry? What history separates them 
from us? What hard words do they have for me and our people? When we leave our echo chambers, we may grow in compassion. We will find that there is more to grieve than we could have ever imagined. And for this moment, sitting in the circle of pain, we are called to stay in the place of grief. And I get it. (laughs) Trying to do that in the middle of September is hard. We are not in Holy Week. In fact, we are weeks away from Advent. Apart from Holy Week, funerals, and special set-apart vigils, we are not often accustomed to the practice of communal lament. Jeremiah's testimony and prayer offers an opportunity to teach us to grieve together, to create space for shared lament, and to surrender to the overwhelming sorrow that courage and virtue are not enough to vanquish. If you are tempted to follow this lament with words and rites of assurance, of comfort, of hope, talk of resurrection and new covenant, new creation, reconciliation, hold back. Don't give in to that urge just yet. Not yet. On the day we come together to say, ouch, we must not move too quickly for that fix, for that quick fix. It will not restore our sight or our health, but submerge us once more in the dark disease of denial. In our text today, both God and Jeremiah come to the circle of lament not to fix but to sit with us. I just love how you bring God into the circle of lament or how you are noticing that God shows up there. As I've worked with this scripture and as we've talked about it, I've I've puzzled with this question, who is lamenting? Obviously, there are a few lines where it's clearly the people. The people are are, are lamenting. The summer has passed. The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. But other times I wonder, is it the prophet? Is it, is it Jeremiah lamenting? Or is it God? And scholars disagree on that, but I hear the lament as God's. God is lamenting here. And that raises the question, what does it mean to hear God to hear God lament like this, to hear God cry out, my joy is gone, grief is upon me, my heart is sick. To hear God cry out, for the hurt of my poor people, I am hurt, I mourn, and dismay has taken hold of me. To hear God cry out, oh, Oh, that my head were a spring of water, my eyes a fountain of tears, so I might weep day and night for the slain of my poor people. The God whose stance against injustice may sometimes feel like anger to us, that God is actually weeping. 
As God says, weeping day and night for the pain of my poor people, we have the people lamenting and the prophet lamenting and God lamenting all intertwined together. I ran across something that our friend Allie Utley wrote. Uh, We know her here at at this church from when she was chaplain at the seminary. Allie suggests that we might be able to learn how to lament from this scripture. We sit in the circle of lament that Patrick described and we listen. We listen to the lament of others. We hear the pain and the harm and we pause. We don't move too fast. We honor what we hear and we honor those who lament. And then we ask, am I a part of that harm? And what can I do to help? And we bring to the circle of lament the lament that is our own. We know that. You know what that feels like in your bones. We gather there and we learn to lament together. To listen deeply to each other, we lament together God with us. God joining the lament out of God's great love, particularly for the vulnerable and the hurting. God watering the earth with God's tears. We gather in the prophetic hope that somehow, somehow, if only in gathering in that circle, if only in seeing each other as fully human, if only in the community that is created there, God is birthing something new.